Happy second anniversary! Behavioral Health Today dropped its first episodes on April 20th, 2020. To celebrate our second year mark, we're releasing five shows this week, one episode each day. Two will be brand new shows and three will be some of our favorites from the past year. We hope you enjoy them all, both new and old, and we're looking forward to another year of bringing you trending and relevant content in behavioral and mental health. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Elmore, and today I'm joined by Daniel Kim. Dan is a marriage and family therapist from La Mesa, California. He has 12 years of experience working with clients who struggle with trauma, relational problems, addiction, and spiritual issues. He's also worked with members of the clergy who struggle with deep personal issues. And I can't think of anyone more fitting to be here today because we just happen to be talking about the integration of spirituality with therapy. So welcome, Dan. We're glad to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really honored to be here and just to be asked to share my journey. And so um, I'm really uh, looking forward to today. Good. Us too, us too. So let's start there. Tell us about your journey. How did you come to appreciate the topic of spirituality as it relates to therapy? Because I feel like that's something that we don't often hear talked about. I would say that the integration of spirituality and theology with psychotherapy has been uh, a big passion of mine for a long time. And it was something that was nurtured within me when I was in my grad program at Bethel Seminary here in San Diego. And their marriage and family therapy program, it was just a, a big priority to really integrate our faith with our practice. And, and ever since even graduating, I feel like my journey has really been through a lot of ups and downs, new experiences and uh, new directions of where my belief system or my theology is, has gone, as well as how I integrate faith and practice. And so that's pretty much the gist of it. But. Yeah, what I'm, what I'm getting is it's a, an area of personal interest for you, but also you have professional training in faith and spirituality and how to integrate that into therapy, which is wonderful. How would you yeah. define spirituality? You know, let's just take a minute and actually define what that is, because I think there's so many different takes on this term. So how do you explain spirituality? I mean, I'll say that for myself, spirituality is the experience of the transcendent, which is like a greater purpose and meaning beyond my own self-interest and primary senses. And this experience of the transcendent, it flows from a deep connection, like with the greater reality with oneself and with other people. Mm. And so at the core, spirituality to me, it's a, it's a connection and it's a relationship, but it's also a disposition that flows from that. I love that definition. Yeah. So you're saying it's not just a set of rules or principles that somebody follows. It's really the connection between themselves to themselves, themselves to other people, and then themselves yeah. to the broader world or culture, or other people. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it defined where it's kind of like the soul, quote unquote, of a person. So that could be couched within religion. It could be people who have an anti-religion and that's really their spiritual viewpoint is anti-religious, mm -hmm. but essentially yeah. it could be defined as like morals, values, beliefs, 
your worldview. But I like that you're also talking about the, the relational connection between yourself and fill in the blank. That's beautiful. Well, what do you think are some of the benefits of incorporating spirituality into therapy? Well, I'll step back a little bit from that question and say that for myself, it's actually unavoidable for me mm. to incorporate spirituality because I actually don't see spirituality as a component of therapy among all these other components. I actually view therapy as spiritual work. And mind you, I didn't say I view therapy as religious work, mm -hmm. but I view it as spiritual work. And I'd be glad to kind of explain that a bit. Uh, I mean, it goes back to the question, like how spirituality is different from religion. Mm -hmm. And like you just said, like there are so many views on, on the relationship between both. And for myself, what really uh, worked for me and what I really found helpful. So this is just a personal view of mine is that I have a premise on which I base my differentiation, meaning like this premise is really a contrast between two concepts. One concept is essence and the other concept is system. And okay. system can mean framework, it can mean structure, but essence and system is how I differentiate both. And to use a, a biblical analogy that Jesus used in the gospels, it's wine and wine skin. Mm. And basically, in essence, I view that spirituality is the wine and religion is the wineskin. And I liked how you said earlier, Aaron, like how uh, spirituality is the soul, mm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. of, uh, and religion is like the body. And so how I would also frame it is that spirituality is the experience, while religion is the um, container of that experience. Yeah, well stated. That makes a lot of sense. And what does experience mean? Well, it means uh, the words that I included in my original definition of spirituality for myself, experience this connection, this relationship, and it's a disposition that flows from that. Okay. And so that distinction between spirituality and religion is really important to me personally, because it's really useful in kind of discerning how and why people get stuck in mm -hmm. their faith. Okay how I've seen so many professing people of faith and even in so many religious leaders throughout most of my, my entire life is how we tend to, without meaning to, we tend to conflate spirituality and religion. We tend to make both terms more or less equivalent yes, to yeah. each other and, and how faith is understood and practiced. And so like when people say that I'm looking to go back to church, you know, I'm looking to join a uh, spiritual community. They're not really looking for a religion. They're really looking for a spiritual experience or they're, they're seeking to nurture their spirituality. And so it's akin to like when I, when I'm buying a bottle of wine, I'm not looking for the wine bottle because of the bottle. <laughs> I'm looking for it because of the content within the bottle. And so it's, it's really helpful to discern between the two for me because I could more clearly see, oh, okay, this is why people get disillusioned with religion, why people who attend church all their lives, who even serve in church or who have been in ministry, this is why they, they experience times of burnout or 
just a, a dryness or kind of feeling lost. It's because even though they were very religious in, the, in their practices, you know, in their service, they weren't really experiencing the spiritual. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Did I explain that clearly? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I like, I like that analogy of the wine bottle versus the wine, you know, you're, you're just really looking for the substance and that connection as you were talking about earlier. And I think on the flip side, this definition or viewpoint of spirituality, I think can be very healing because there are also a lot of people who have been really hurt by religion. And yes. so I, I like that you're making that distinction between the two. And I imagine that helps in your work where you're not stuck on a particular religion. I imagine it's more about that deeper, wider meaning of spirituality, which I think can be more inviting to somebody who didn't have a good experience and maybe doesn't want to go to church, you know? And, and yeah, on that note, yeah. do you have any examples of that in your practice? How do you work with somebody who comes in? Because I think it's a common question sometimes clients pose us as, you know, Hey, do you, do you have a religion? And if we're different, how are we supposed to work together? How do you address that when the client has a certain religion and you're a different background and they're concerned about that? How would you handle that? It's interesting in, in practice, I've had very few times if like, I could probably count on my hand in the last 12 years where a client of a different religious faith would need me to explicitly address something about their religious system. And that's what's been interesting for me. You know, what clients are really interested in, regardless of their faith background, is, is healing. And, and interesting enough, too, like I work with a lot of pastors in therapy. I love pastors because I myself have served in pastoral ministry longer than I've been in a therapist, more of a lay pastor. And I'm a son of a pastor, you know, and I, I've seen how much that they hold with the expectations and the responsibilities that are placed on their shoulders. And so they're supposedly spiritual leaders of their flock. And when they come in to see me to work on their issues, it's interesting how we don't explicitly talk about God mm -hmm. that much mm -hmm. at all. You know, it's really about themselves and their, and their needs for healing. Yeah, that no, that makes sense. It is interesting. Yeah. 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 Cause I think sometimes think people think when they're starting therapy that they want someone who's very similar to them. They don't want their beliefs to be threatened. But it's it's which, true which is true. Yeah. 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 In the but beginning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's helpful to discuss. And I think even your framework you laid out earlier could be a way that therapists could explain that when somebody comes in in the first couple of meetings and they, they ask those questions, you know. Is, yeah. hey, this, this is how I view it. This is how I would do our work together. I imagine that can be helpful for young budding therapists out there if they want to incorporate this into their work. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have ideas or examples of how this can be very challenging work? I mean, we're talking about how great it is and it's very true. However, I'm sure it's challenging as well. What are some obstacles you've run into? Mm. Well, when it comes to incorporating spirituality into therapy, I'll say the challenge, it doesn't come from where we would typically think it would come from, which is on the client's end. It actually comes from the therapist that's providing the therapy. Interesting. In my view. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, because remember when, spiritual, when I said about what spirituality is at the core is connection, relationship, and disposition, right? All just speak for myself. It's really my disposition. 
that is, you could say, the biggest potential challenge of showing up for my clients the way that they need me to show up. And it goes back to why I view therapy as spiritual work, because of it largely being based on a very generally accepted belief that we operate by as clinicians, right? And that have you, you know, the term unconditional positive regard. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. When we look at this therapeutic principle of unconditional positive regard, which, you know, for our listeners, it's a principle defined by uh, humanistic psychologist Carl Rogers in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. It's now universally considered one of the core tenets of psychotherapy that's taught in just about every graduate therapy program. You know, it's a fundamental way in which we are to see and address our clients. Mm-hmm. And it's based on a certain premise, you know, and this premise is that the client in front of me holds an intrinsic and measurable worth as a human being. And so that belief is actually, in my view, a spiritual belief. It's a transcendent belief because it's not something that naturally flows from you know, purely empirical, evolutionary, or naturalistic assumptions, right? You know, because a very practical way of viewing humanity, and unfortunately is the way of the world, you know, in terms of governments, economies, and, and, and corporations, it's to view the worth of a human being based on their utility, you know, their capacities for intelligence, functioning, and productivity, right? And human beings were just assets in that worldly point of view, okay? But unconditional positive regard is based on something that transcends that purely materialistic, naturalistic worldview. And and I think that's something that we can be proud of, (laughs) that the way that we provide therapy, how we're supposed to treat clients is based on a spiritual premise. You know, it's because people have immense intrinsic worth and we're to treat that, treat them that way in therapy. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. There's that assumption that somebody has value just for being a human being, regardless of the struggles they've gone through, regardless of why they're in your office or what their past Mm -hmm. says. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that really is a moral assumption, right? So that makes sense. And then that, that flows into how you were answering that question of like, maybe the biggest challenge in incorporating or treating people from the spiritual perspective is the mentality and assumption that therapists hold around this. So it sounds like you're advocating maybe for therapists to do some of their own personal work in this area to become better helping their clients. Would you say that's true? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I, I can't say enough about how important it is to do our own work. You know, I see my therapist weekly because I, I can identify with my clients and that I'm still a work in progress. You know, I, we all are. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I have my own baggage that can get in the way of me being able to show up, you know, and being the best therapist that my clients need me to be. And when I'm doing therapy, my, at least in my heart, what I'm wanting and what I'm hoping for is to let them encounter uh, a sense of worth Mm -hmm. and a sense of connection with myself, but also with themselves, right? that they Mm -hmm. otherwise may not have outside of the therapy session, right? And when clients are experiencing a deep sense of connection and a deep sense of worth within themselves, 
that's spiritual. Yes, absolutely. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else doing anything else. So why not spend that time in a job you love? Introducing Triad's Jobs Marketplace, the only job site dedicated specifically to behavioral and mental health professionals. Featuring more than 1,000 open jobs from dozens of behavioral and mental health employers and searchable by location, professional field, employment type, specialization, and more. Jobs Marketplace helps you find your next career opportunity. Full-time, part-time, or gig-time, make the most of your time. To access Jobs Marketplace, register for your free professional account at hellotriad.com bht. That's hellotriad.com bht. And then click to Jobs Marketplace. If you're already a member of the Triad community, visit app.hellotriad.com jobs. That's app.hellotriad.com jobs. Visit us today and take your next career step tomorrow. you're saying is reminding me there's this quote from actually time magazine from 2017 and they did a study on this like how does spirituality they use the term religion but i think yeah you know based on in the context of our conversation we can understand they really mean spirituality and how does that yeah. impact people's quality of life and the, yeah. the quote is scientists have found again and again that those with a spiritual practice or who follow religious beliefs tend to be happier than those who don't Study after study has found that religious people tend to be less depressed and less anxious than they call them non-believers, kind of harsh term, but then non-believers that are able to yeah. handle the vicissitudes of life, the, the ever-changing yeah. moments of life than non-believers. Yeah. Quote. So yeah, I think I think you're yeah. hitting that, right? Where it's like there's a lot of healing and depth of meaning that comes from connection. Yeah. Oh man, that's really good. I like that. And in addition to that, I'll also say, you know, in terms of how therapy is spiritual work, when we, you know, from a, from a Christian worldview, when we look at the Bible, it reminds me of when 2000 years ago, a religious leader basically went up to Jesus and, you know, and pretty much asked him, what is the greatest commandment? In essence, what does, what are all the statutes and, and, and laws and guidelines in their culture? add up to, if you just boil it down, you know, to one essence. And Jesus told this man that it's love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and so when we're looking at this highest ethic of love, why is that called the greatest commandment? Well, you know, we can actually say in attachment research in the last 70 plus years, we'll, we'll, will prove this is that love is our greatest need as yeah. human beings. That's why it's the greatest commandment. And when, when we are helping people in our sessions experience unconditional positive regard, compassion, love from me as a therapist and treat them with that worth and dignity. And then number two, we also help them love themselves. Like true, I'm talking about true self-compassion and acceptance. If that's not spiritual, I don't know what else is. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah. You're speaking my language. I did my dissertation on attachment theory and it's true that, ah, yeah, I mean, you can boil so many wounds and so much trauma down to an attachment wound, a relational wound, right? Like we're most yeah. hurt by people, but the only way to heal that is a person is relationship is connection. And that's what therapy is, is restoring that connection. And so it's, I think yeah. it's just very hopeful that think, thankfully neuroplasticity exists and our brain can change and our attachment can change, but we do need yeah. that connection, whether it be with a therapist or partner or a church community or spiritual connection, right? Oh, that's gosh. That, Aaron, that's what's I, healing. We got to hang out. We got to talk more. <laughs> I want to interview you now. I'm okay, really fair curious. enough. We'll switch yeah. roles. We'll switch roles next time. <laughs> but no, I, really I, I definitely, uh, yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down. It makes sense. Well, I like stories. I'm sure our listeners appreciate stories as well. Do you happen to have an example of a client where incorporating spirituality or really the way you're saying it is doing the work you usually do, which is spiritual, has helped them? I would say every time I am feeling a connection with a client as he or she is going into their wound with me and they're going into a very vulnerable place. And I'm just a helper, you know, but it's really helping them get in touch with the core center within themselves that is able to heal their wounded parts. Mm -hmm. That is a spiritual experience. And that happens every week for me, honestly. It is so humbling to witness that. And I tell my clients this, you know, I, you know, I just, you know, afterwards, I always tell them how honored I feel to have witnessed this and to see how much they're unburdened and see how parts of their psyche are, are now feeling set free from burdens that they've been carrying for decades. It is really sacred. That's, mm -hmm. that's the word, you know, yes. it, it is so sacred. It is so connecting. And there's no doubt for me that God is in that process, you know, yes. in that space. Hey, is there a particular model that you find is helpful when doing this work with clients? Yes. I work through the internal family systems model of therapy or IFS. Okay. It's a trauma-informed evidence-based approach that is actually a very spiritual approach because it's based on a really powerful premise, a spiritual premise, really, that without this premise, this therapy this therapy would not work. Basically, it's that within every client, and I found this to be true 100% of the time when I, when I witness clients healing, within every human being, there is this core center. And just for simplicity, you know, it's called self, capital S, self. And uh, the strange thing about this core or center of every human being is that it's been unblemished by any traumatic, negative, you know, painful event that we've gone through and everyone is born with it and it's able to be accessed within every human being. Okay. Which is beautiful. I feel and calm just listening to that idea. That sounds really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And what we're helping clients do in therapy is allow their parts of their psyche. Okay. Different parts of themselves to be connected with self. Mm. And it's self that does the healing. It's self that does the unburdening. It's not really me. I'm just a, a, a helper, maybe a guide sometimes, you know, but it's an amazing premise because again, it's not something that you can just say, Hey, yeah, 
we found this, th this concept of self is purely through evolutionary naturalistic, you know, processes, you know, it's some, there's something about self that transcends, you know, that materialistic evolutionary way of thinking. By the way, I want to make a qualifier. I have no problem with, you know, scientific evolutionary thinking. Okay. I'm just saying it's not solely something that you can derive from that alone. Yes. Okay. That you know makes sense. I mean? That's really interesting. Is there yeah. a way with maybe within that model or that framework that you assess spirituality of a new client or perhaps introduce the concept of spirituality to a new client? I'm thinking mostly for our early career therapists or our listeners, how can they incorporate this into their work and assess for where the client's at with their spirituality? It's interesting. I, there's really no need to explicitly assess for their spirituality because it's implicit. It's mm -hmm. assumed, you know, and that's what I mean by spirituality, not being a component therapy. Therapy is spiritual work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so from your model, it's more of just taking in the client's experience and looking out for how that would translate to a spiritual perspective. Or just an ex a spiritual experience, you know, uh, yeah. like, yeah. you know, when, when we are not able to have transcendent experience, you know, and, or I'm not able to connect with God or the divine or the universe. I'm not able to feel deeply connected with other people or even myself, right? You know, that means that there's a constraint there. You know, there's, there's a block, you know, yeah, and yeah. there are good reasons for these blocks. And it's on us just to be welcoming of these blocks, to befriend parts of themselves that are, you know, for instance, acting out in destructive ways. You know, doing, making them do bad things, thinking in ways that are just harmful. You know, we, we, we come to these parts of the client's psyche with compassion, mm -hmm. you know, and grace. What do I say to my clients often is, you know, the, the very thing that they're trying to achieve at the end of our work, which is for all practical purposes, it's an increased capacity for love and connectedness, right? Absolutely. Yeah. With themselves, with other people, or even with God. You know, well, that's the end, but the means are the, is the same thing as the ends, you know, love or compassion, unconditional positive regard, grace, all that is also the means to, to, to reaching that end. Yeah. It sounds, well, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're, as you're listening to your client's stories, particularly new clients where you're sort of doing an intake, you're really honing in and paying attention to the areas where they have been wounded, hurt, where they're feeling stuck in the sense of not connecting either to themselves, to other people or to the broader yeah. society. Is that accurate? Yeah. Or to God, nature, yeah. you know, the universe. And, and it's just about helping them when clients are doing therapy, it is spiritual work because they're increasing their capacity for experiencing the transcendent. Absolutely. Yeah. There is something very sacred about coming into a therapy space after the pandemic. A few of my clients had mentioned that too, where although the screen is very convenient, they said there's something different. Like I feel calmer the second I come into this room. And I, I feel like that's kind of echoing that idea of it's sacred space. It's sacred, sacred ground because yeah. you're talking about very holy, vulnerable, important topics. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, there's, I mean, specific story and this is a common story when i work with pastors you know did i say i love pastors you did <laughs> i love pastors because it's like especially in 
evangelical, you know, like conservative Christian culture that is from my background. It's, it's like they're required to be almost like supermen. They can't have issues. They're not allowed to struggle. They are supposed to have all the answers and they have, they're supposed to have the, the greatest connection with God out of everyone in the congregation. And who do they go to? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's hard for them to find. They're human beings too. And it's, it's a common thing for pastors or people in ministry to come in and, and basically bear themselves and say, yeah, I don't experience the things that I'm preaching. Right. You know, there's a divide between what I'm preaching, what I know in my head that I teach, but my heart is like, feels so far away from God, or my heart feels like God is disappointed in me, or he's judging me, he's rejecting me, you know? And there's this divide between their head and their heart. And so, you know, in our, you could say, spiritual work of therapy, it's just about that. Yeah, let's get curious. You know, what, what are these parts of you that are telling you the, these messages? What are these parts of you that are making you do bad things like blowing up at your children or, you know, or giving into sexual addictions or your depression or whatever, right? And, and we just invite all these different sides with an accepting stance. You know, I'm just kind of putting my hands out like this and it's beautiful. But yeah, once, once we are able to remove, slowly remove these constraints, it's interesting how the head and the heart start to become a little bit closer, closely aligned. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's spiritual work. It is. It absolutely know? is. Yeah. yeah. And how wonderfully yeah. that you can, you particularly can specialize in helping pastors because yeah, it's so ironic, right? It's like the, the people that we look to, to lead us to have an experience with God are not allowed to be vulnerable and, you know, true experience, spiritual experience comes from being very vulnerable and very real. So yeah. 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 Oh gosh. I mean, I should have included myself in all this too. You know, that's my story. <laughs> And it's still my continuing story, you know, and it's based on the theological saying that, you know, what's the longest distance in the world to travel between the head and the heart. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I, I count myself among that. And this is why I need to do my work, you know, because I definitely can relate to, yeah, I'm teaching and I'm, you know, um, preaching and conveying all these things, but this is not my inner experience. Right. Right. On that um, note, is I've been wondering, do you have any tips for people who are listening to this and thinking, okay, this isn't something I've really given much thought to, but I'm curious, yeah. I'm interested. What are some practical steps that people can take to start fostering the head and the heart connection in their real life? First step is just to be honest. Oh, that's a tough one. With yourself, to, honest with yourself. To themselves. Yeah. yeah. Honest to themselves. Okay. Yeah. There's a part of me that is scared of God, terrified of God. By the way, that's me, Aaron. And there's a part, and he, and this part of my heart, he's this little guy, I feel him. You know, he's about, you know, early elementary age, but being able to, to say, yeah, yeah, this part of my heart is really feeling and experiencing some really unwanted or undesirable things. Yeah. That a good spiritual person, you know, or a good Christian or religious person shouldn't, 
shouldn't feel, you know, because that's bad, you know. And that's the first step that I could think of is like, no, just bear it out. You know, for someone who believes in a loving, benevolent God, God already knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, he already, you know, God already knows those things are already there. And, and God is already waiting for us to encounter the divine right there. Yeah. I am sure the biggest question coming to people's minds is, well, what if I don't believe God is a good God? Like, how do you know that he has your best interests at heart? You know, you, you seem to have this wonderful, beautiful, which I happen to agree with image of God is wanting us to have good things and loves us. Right. But what oh, about the person question. who struggles with the goodness? Cause I think that's why it's so hard to approach spirituality sometimes is when we're afraid or don't believe that that higher power has our best interest. Yeah. Well, that certainly was the case for this part of me, you know, <laughs> and still is to a degree, but he, I mean, he, he is doing better. I would just be curious, you know, we don't mm -hmm. push back, you know, you know, spin therapy is not about correcting someone's religious belief because therapy is not religion. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Again, it's, it's spirituality and it's approaching from my heart in a spirit of curiosity. And actually I'll say I've encountered this much more in pastoral counseling. Okay. Because I've, you know, I've done a lot of pastoral counseling as well. It's interesting how, without exception, 100% of the time, I can trace back a negative experience or perception of God back to an early life experience with a primary caregiver. I love that you're saying parent. that because back to the attachment thing. Yeah, my, one of my colleagues did her dissertation on attachment from a parenting perspective to the spiritual and mm. the data came back that by far, most of the time, statistically speaking, our image of God goes back to our parents and our experience of our parents. So I love yeah. that you're saying, look, just be honest, start by just being honest with where you're at, non-judgmental, don't need to be scared of it and start yeah. exploring, well, why is that? And why do I think that? And how can I yeah. get more in touch with, in this case, probably your younger self, <laughs> but also the people around you and, and find that connection. And it's also interesting that when clients find healing from these unresolved wounds of, I'm not good enough, or I'm bad, I'm unlovable. There's something wrong with me. You know, these negative core beliefs from these early uh, attachment wounds, when clients are healed from them, it's interesting how their views and experience of God shifts. Is, yeah, it shifts as well. Yeah, I've really noticed interesting. that. Yeah, because everything's connected. That's the theme here. Everything's connected. Well, Dan, exactly. I feel like you and I could talk about this for three more hours, but unfortunately yeah. we do have to wrap up. It was fun. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> do you have any resources that you want to leave our listeners with? I've, I've thought of a couple while we're talking. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, I found a, a text from my grad school days really helpful. And this is more for like professionals or therapists. Okay. And it's a big book called A, a Spiritual Strategy for Counseling and Psychotherapy. And it's by P. Scott Richards and Alan Bergen. Okay. So Richards and Bergen, uh, second edition, last edition was the second one in 2005. But I found this in a, a very helpful reference. And for the general readers, uh, it's called How God Changes Your Brain. Okay. And it's the little text is Breakthrough Findings from a Leading Neuroscientist. 
Andrew Newberg and Mark Robert Waldman and how God changes your brain really goes into the neuroscience of uh, spirituality and religious faith. Very interesting. And so, yeah, those would be the two things that I would recommend for the listeners. Okay, that's great. Well, thankfully, I have different books, so we did not overlap. But I was thinking I work I work with kids and teens a lot. And there's a book called Building Moral Intelligence by Michelle Borba, B-O-R-B-A. And that's a really helpful okay. book for parents, I think, because in the way I'm thinking of it is spirituality kind of narrowed down into building character, building moral principles for your children. So that's kind of practical and helpful. And then for the therapists and grad students who are listening, there's a book called Soul Searching by Dr. William Doherty, D-O-H-E-R-T-Y. Basically his whole premise is it's not only important to talk about spirituality and therapy, but it is our obligation. Yeah. Like we must mm. kind of like what you're saying, that it's it's part of the process. It is the process. You cannot separate it out. And it's yeah. a little, it's a little esoteric, but it's very interesting and thought provoking. So th- those two came to mind as well. What if somebody wants to learn more about you and your practice? Where can they find? They could find me in psychology today. Yeah. Just scroll up Daniel Kim and, and San Diego and they could contact me. And if they just want to have a chat, and not even look into therapy. I love to meet people and just talk to them. And and that would be the best way. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind. Well, I really, um, really appreciate you coming on today. This has been yeah. very interesting. And thanks for sharing all of your insights. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'll say, you know, in closing, I, I have so much to learn. The more I am doing this integrating, my views are continual in continual development. But I'm really I'm honored and flattered that I was asked to to share my story and my journey. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you to our listeners. We really appreciate you guys being here with us today too. And we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.